Welcome into the Rebound Rundown. Today is Friday, December 30th, 2022, the final episode of the year. I'm your host, Paul Fritchner, and this is produced by Chatterbox Sports. This is your Daily Digest College Basketball Show where you can get your info on Cincinnati area college hoops every Monday through Friday in short episodes. Packed show today with a ton happening this weekend, and I have an interview coming up with Aaron Torres to preview the ranked matchup between number 22 Xavier and number 2 UConn on Saturday. Let's get this going, though, with Cincinnati, who opened their final season in the AAC with an 88-77 win over Tulane at Fifth Third Arena last night. UC's largest lead was 17 at one point late in the first half, but Tulane was within six with less than five minutes to go in the game. This was a choppy one with 43 total fouls called, and at one point in the second half, a lengthy review as the officials tried to figure out the correct score in the game. The Bearcats had five double-figure scores, led by Landers Nolly, who finished with 23. Jeremiah Davenport's stat line didn't tell his full story. He had 13 points and was just one of eight from three, but he had four assists and three rebounds, and as the game went on, seemed like he found himself making the right plays within the system. Also of note, Micah Adams-Woods had a season-high 18 points on seven of eight shooting from the floor. Northern Kentucky got a statement rivalry win over Wright State last night, 78-64 at Truist Arena in the first meeting between the teams since the Raiders beat the Norse in the Horizon League Tournament Championship game last season. Trayvon Faulkner and Sam Vinson finally played well. Faulkner had 12 points and Sam Vinson had 11. Marquez Warwick again led the team in scoring with 19. The defense eliminated paint touches, which is what Wright State lives off of. Chris Brandon, who has had his fair share of struggles lately, looked like he did against UC. Brandon contributed 12 points and collected 14 rebounds, playing like the best big in the horizon. NKU is the only team currently sitting at 3-0 in league play. Miami beat the famed St. Mary of the Woods Pomeroys 90-51. Morgan Safford led the Red Hawks with 19 points. Let's hear now from Aaron Torres of Fox Sports Radio and the Aaron Torres Podcast, also a UConn alum, about this Saturday's game between the Huskies and the Musketeers. Aaron Torres joining the rebound rundown ahead of Saturday's huge right matchup in the Big East at the Cintas Center. Number 22, Xavier, taking on the number two team in the country, an undefeated Connecticut Husky squad. Aaron, you're a UConn alum. Let's first get your thoughts overall on this season for UConn. They didn't get a single first place vote prior to this season in the Big East, but they've come out and proven to be one of, if not the best teams in the country. And they're not just beating up on nobodies. They are consistently stacking quad one win after quad one win. They're getting big time W's here to start the year. They're 14 and 0 right now. What has this team been like to watch and what's been maybe the biggest surprise for you this year? Oh, well, it's been really fun to watch. Um, And I remember even watching them in, in the Portland tournament that Xavier was in. By the end of the tournament, I said, this is the best team in college basketball that I've seen. And I'm always hesitant to like put stuff like that out there. Um, But by the end of the weekend, it felt like that was pretty much, I don't want to say general consensus, but it, it wasn't like a crazy hot take. Um, So it's been fun to watch. And then I think my biggest takeaway is that I am – 
blown away. I'm blown away by two things. I'm blown away by the overall depth of this team just in general. Okay. So, um, you know, Naheem Aline, who had transferred from Virginia Tech, was a starter on last year's ACC tournament champions, obviously an NCAA tournament team. I would argue he's probably like UConn's ninth guy right now. Um, and what 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 stands out to me about the depth is not only what it the problems that it causes for for opponents because you know I call them like a Noah's Ark team they got two of everything you know but but why I bring it up is right now so far and things are always subject to change what I'm so impressed by is how Dan Hurley has found the ability to keep all those guys invested in the team he calls it we season he says right now is we season once the season ends it's me season you guys should do what's best for you whether it's go pro transfer come back whatever but right now it's we season and so i've just been so impressed in how he has kept all of those guys engaged now again 14 regular season games in for them so they're a little under the halfway point things can go off the rails in a hurry you know especially in the nil uh, you know, era where 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 there's a lot at stake when guys are having success and other guys are maybe sacrificing success for the team. So that's the biggest takeaway, the overall depth. But then the way that Dan Hurley is getting all of these guys to buy into a role, uh, that's been what's probably been so impressive to me so far. And how about the two freshmen for Xavier fans that are listening, Alex Caravan and Donovan Klingon? These guys have come on the scene and made an instant impact so far this year. It's been unbelievable. You know, Caravan's a little bit of a different deal. He actually uh, graduated early last year. Reg came to campus, took a red shirt, practiced with the team. So even though he wasn't a name that people knew, you know, people that I I kind of knew kind of around the program just said, I, we think he can contribute pretty, you know, pretty consistently right away. Now, he's had some really good games, including against Villanova on Wednesday. I'll say this, though. Donovan Klingon has been, I, I think you can make the case, one of the genuine surprises in all of college basketball. Um, you know, he's a Connecticut kid, so he was really a priority recruit for UConn. But because he was a Connecticut kid, because he stayed in Connecticut, because he didn't go to a prep school in IMG, a Montverde, whatever, I do think there were questions even among UConn fans about what is he going to be when he gets to campus? How long will it take for him to contribute? And so to see him come in as a true freshman and listen, I'm not a, a crazy analytics guy. I think it's important to look at numbers to tell a bigger picture, but there are analytics that say early on in the season, UConn is actually a better team with him on the floor as opposed to Adama Sanogo at the center spot. Adama Sanogo, obviously the preseason Big East player of the year. That's not to discredit him. It's just to show what Donovan Klingon does, the percentage of rebounds that he grabs when he's on the court, the number of shots that he alters being seven foot two. And of course, the number of super high percentage shots that he gets again, being seven foot two. So, uh, you know, Caravan to me isn't as surprising. And I think probably to people around the program, but to, to UConn fans, I would argue Klingon has been a very pleasant surprise. And it's especially cool, obviously with him being a Connecticut kid. And to some of the more familiar names, you already talked about Adama Sunogo, who's not only just the preseason player of the year in the Big East, but somebody that's positioning himself that could be the, the national player of the year here at the end of the season. But Tristan Newton, Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, they've been three guys that have given you some serious production out of the wing spots this year, too. Well, and that's another impressive part of the UConn story, which maybe now is getting a little bit lost, including I probably glossed over it early. But Andre Jackson and Jordan Hawkins both suffered some injuries early in the year. And so, again, it shows the depth of this team where Andre Jackson didn't play the first four or five games prior to 
the PK 85. And then Jordan Hawkins within about 10 minutes of the opener, unfortunately went down with a concussion. He had some concussion problems last year. So those guys are all really good. And it's glad I'm glad to see them all just being healthy. Uh, I think Xavier fans obviously remember Andre Jackson, third year junior, super athletic, kind of a weird kind of like sort of runs the point, but not really runs the point kind of guy uh, hit, hit kind of the game clinching shot against Nova. I'm a huge Jordan Hawkins guy, though. You know, he he reminds me, Paul. See, Paul, you're too young, man. You won't remember, but <laughs> Ray Allen as a college player, that was like my first like introduction to college basketball at UConn. Not to sound like John Rothstein, but there was a lot of George, a lot of young Ray Allen and Jordan Hawkins where people think of Ray Allen, the historically great three-point shooter. He was a great athlete when he was young at UConn and then early in his NBA career with the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think Jordan Hawkins has kind of that that good um, athletic ability in the open court, but obviously also hits a bunch of threes. I think he had four or five on, on Wednesday night against Nova. And so I think to me, he's probably their most high upside player uh, Andre Jackson, probably their most versatile player. And then Tristan Newton, a really nice addition via the portal as well. And you look at this Connecticut team, Aaron, and they are not just a good offensive team, seventh in the country. If you're looking at Ken Palm, they're the seventh best offensive team in the country. They're the fourth best defensive yeah. team in the country. They're so versatile. They can beat you in so many ways. They have won 13 of their 14 games by double digits. The exception was this Wednesday's game against Villanova that, oh, by the way, they just won by eight points. So they haven't been necessarily challenged in really any game so far yet this year. You could say Villanova, but even that one, when Villanova made it close, yes, Villanova led it a couple of points in the game, but it still always felt like UConn really had control in that game. And, and it's just been impressive win after impressive win. So I would, and you're going to laugh when I say this, but believe it or not, Georgetown actually gave them a game and I would take it a step further and say they were pushed, they were challenged. They were down about seven, eight points at one point in the second half. And I'm only bringing that up not to, to tear down your point, Paul, but it's to say, I thought that was actually one of their most important and impressive stretches of the season where you, you listen, as a player, as a coach, as a fan, you never want your team to be down seven, eight points at home in what there was their big East home opener prior to Christmas, but they really flipped a switch. I mean, if you can go back and find highlights of that game, Paul, maybe Xavier fans don't want to do that. Uh, like, dude, it was unbelievable. They just, it, it was like a flip switched and they said, we are just locking you down. I remember there was, this is going to be like the most extreme um, comparison ever, but I remember there was a, a moment in uh, the last dance documentary. Okay. I'm not comparing UConn to the 96 bulls. I promise <laughs> you, but seriously, it was just like where they just talked about that team just clicking on offense and defense and you had never seen anything like it. And again, I'm not calling UConn the 96 bulls. I promise, but I'm just saying it was like, they just, fully locked in. They're like, we are just going to get after you defensively. We're going to contest every shot at the rim. We're not going to let you get the ball past half court. And then offensively, it was the spacing ball movement, three point shooting that you mentioned. So that to me was actually one of the more impressive moments in their season when it could have gone sideways or they could have done enough to eke out the three, four, five point win and go into the Christmas break. And they flipped a switch and they went from like down seven to up seven and probably about two or three minutes of real game time. And that was actually, to me, one of the more impressive stretches of their entire season. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that Georgetown game up because Xavier was playing that night as well. And I remember standing there trying to fight the uh, the Wi-Fi in the Cintas Center, refreshing the feed to see if UConn was going to come back and pull that off and thinking to myself, all right, so is UConn going to be able to flip that gear? And they did. 
And then they go mm-hmm. ahead and win the game by whatever it was. I think it was 11 there at the end, 80, 84 to 73. So it, it just feels to me like that's what has been such a key part of this UConn team this year, that it's not just we're going to go out there and outscore you, which has been Xavier's yeah. MO this year is yeah. we're just going to score more points than you are, but we can't defend as well as UConn can. So let's take it to this Saturday. Xavier is going to play in a ranked game at home at noon on New Year's Eve. The students won't be there, but it'll still be a sold out crowd. They, they've already sold it out. So what are you expecting, Aaron, in this game uh, on Saturday afternoon against a Xavier team that's, you know, UConn seventh in the country offensively. Xavier's one behind them at eight, but they don't defend the way UConn defends. So this could be a, a high scoring game. How are you seeing this game set up? Well, Sean Miller's a smart coach, and and you know, but I do think I, I actually give credit to Kyle Neptune. I, I don't know that he had the personnel to implement for a full 40 minutes what he wanted to do, but what it seemed clear that he was going to do um was limit paint touches and um you know make idea in a perfect world, limit paint touches and make somebody other than Jordan Hawkins hit three. Now, Alex Caraban, who you mentioned hit a few threes, but Adama Sonogo took a couple ill-advised threes. Andre Jackson took a bunch of ill-advised threes, although he did make the one that mattered late in the game. And so I don't know if that's the quote-unquote blueprint, right? You know, everybody, everybody, you know, this is game 15 for UConn. Everybody's had a blueprint on how to beat them. But I do think that's probably, you know, the, the way to do it is, you know, from the inside out, try to limit UConn. And listen, they have the capability to go, you know, 16 of of. 31 from three or whatever, but make them do it. You know, Caravan is a really good shooter. Jordan Hawkins is a really good shooter, but Sonogo's attempting more and he's making more, but it's still not a high percentage shot. And, and as I said, Andre Jackson, kind of the same deal. So I think that's probably the blueprint. And then obviously it goes without saying that Xavier in theory has the, the, the personnel to implement that blueprint with the two big guys up front with Fremantle and uh, and Jack Nungie. So in theory, they have the blueprint. Again, I, I know I've used that word a lot, but but to keep the game close and keep the game competitive. Um, and then the question is, obviously, all the other stuff is, is can you implement it? Can you make shots on your end? Where is UConn at defensively? And I think we'll learn a lot about UConn in this game because, you know, they've played true road game at Florida. They played a true road game at Butler, but this is obviously the best team that they've played. This is going to be the best environment that they've played in. And I think it's going to be a fun game on Saturday for those that can make it. Last question for you before I let you go. And a full scale picture of this UConn season to put into perspective what UConn has done so far this year. This is a clear national championship caliber team right now. Do you feel that this team has the pieces that they are the wagon that they seem to be, that they can not just have this run, but you talked about how quickly the wheels can fall off in a college season. They're 14 and 0 right now. It seems like they have the depth. It seems like they have the versatility. They have the coaching, all of that combined. They have the pieces. Do you see this as a national championship caliber team? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely see them as a national championship caliber team. I think a few things. One, even just since Big East play started, you can tell teams are more comfortable with them. Uh, they didn't play great against Butler at Butler. Again, it's a Big East road game, whatever. Um, didn't play great against Georgetown, as we said. And and I thought Villanova had a really good game plan um, to keep things competitive. So I, I do think that one, the Big East is it's tough, man. You know, Providence historically is a, a place that you kind of struggle to play in. Obviously, there will be a return game to Villanova. Creighton has started. I, you know, I think the whole Creighton thing, I don't remember if we talked about this last time, but I had seen them 
earlier in the month during the losing streak. And I thought it was a lot to do with not having Ryan Kalkbrenner. And so I think the big thing for UConn is one, the games are just going to get tougher. Obviously we know how tough it is to play in, on the road in college basketball, but especially in some of the big East venues. Um, and then two, and, and I know I already hit on it, but I do think it's about, can you keep a team that plays nine, 10 guys really engaged? And can you get guys to really be bought into playing roles in a world where, you know, three or four of these guys are playing for NBA draft, probably more, you know, I mean, people are now talking about clinging as a potential one and done. People are talking about uh, obviously Jordan Hawkins and Andre Jackson came into the year as NBA uh, potential guys. Uh, you know, Adama Sinogo has a pro future to think about. And so that just becomes what it comes down to. You know, if, if Donovan Klingon is the better player at moments, how does that affect Adama Sinogo? Not saying he's a, not a great kid and all that stuff, but we know how college basketball works. And we know, there, listen, there's a reason. I mean, Jay Wright famously, right? He very rarely filled all of his scholarships because he said, it's hard for me to keep 13 guys engaged in this world. And so it's not a criticism of Dan Hurley or of any of the players on the team. I'm just curious to see you're playing nine, 10 guys. Now they're all, again, I, I know I've said it a few times, but I know they're all bought into what they're doing right now. Is that something that you can maintain over the course of the season? But I absolutely think they're a national championship contender. And I'll say this, I know people get mad when you talk about this stuff in December and January, but it, it could really be an advantageous road for UConn uh, with the East region being at Madison square garden this year. So, I mean, when you talk about, teams that are good enough to win a national championship, but then we know how the tournament is. And if you can play in a comfortable area where you're going to have a lot of your fans, that's only going to help. So that's a long winded way of me saying, yes, they are absolutely good enough to win a national championship. They could have a very advantageous path, but I don't think it's going to be easy uh, starting on Saturday at the Sintest center game. I wish I could have been at, I was supposed to be in Cincinnati until Southwest ruined everything for me, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, hopefully you get out here to, uh, to Cincinnati or at least to the Ohio area sometime soon. Uh, Xavier plays Connecticut again in about a month. So maybe we'll check in with you about a month from now. when when Xavier goes out to Connecticut to play that game, but Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time today. Paul, thank you, man. Happy, uh, happy new year. Enjoy the game. Uh, and we'll talk soon, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Elsewhere around the area this weekend, Dayton is on the road against Davidson, who enters this one with an 8-5 and five record. Their only top 100 win is against 90th-ranked San Francisco, but the Wildcats did play Purdue close, losing just by 8 on December 17th. Tip-off there is at 2 o'clock. Kentucky and Louisville square off at noon on Saturday at Rupp Arena, and this game feels so weird this year. This is generally one of the games that you circle on the calendar as a college basketball fan, and it'll definitely have eyeballs, but I'm not sure how many outside of the Bluegrass State. Louisville is in the midst of one of their worst seasons imaginable, and Kentucky has been extremely underwhelming this year, to say the least. Despite how poorly Kentucky has played in games that have mattered this year, this should still be a significant easy win for the Wildcats. NKU is on the road Saturday to play IUPUI. Not much to say about this game because IUPUI is literally the worst team in college basketball. Someone has to be ranked 363rd, and that's the Jaguars. IUPUI is 3-10 on the year, and two of their three wins have come against non-Division I opponents. Cincinnati travels to Philadelphia for a Sunday afternoon tilt against Temple. The Owls are in the bottom half of the AAC with a 7-7 record, but they do have a couple of nice wins this year. They beat Villanova 68-64 in their second game of the year, and then a week later beat Rutgers by 6 
Since then, though, not too much to write home about, including a loss to 287th-ranked Maryland Eastern Shore. This game tips at 3 on ESPN. Not too many big results around the country last night, but there was one. Central Michigan going on the road to Ann Arbor and upsetting the Michigan Wolverines with a game-winning shot in the game's closing seconds. A 63-61 win. Fire up chips. The one big win for Kentucky this year was the Wildcats' win in London over the Wolverines. And there's that loss for Michigan, 63-61, like I said, to Central Michigan last night. Georgetown gave DePaul a run for their money, but the Blue Demons win it at home, 83-76. Georgetown has not beaten a high major team since last December. They closed the 2022 calendar year without a Big East win. Let's look forward to this weekend and what a weekend of college basketball we have in front of us. Besides the games I've already talked about, here's what we have on Saturday. Texas goes to Oklahoma at 2. Arizona travels to Arizona State at 2. Baylor is on the road at Iowa State at 2 o'clock. Villanova, they host Marquette at the Pavilion at guess what time? 2 o'clock. Bob Huggins in West Virginia, they go to Kansas State at 7, and Texas Tech plays at TCU at noon. Then on Sunday, there's some good Big Ten games. Maryland is at Michigan at 4.30, Ohio State is at Northwestern at 7.30, and Iowa is at Penn State in the middle of those games at 5.30. That'll do it for today's Rebound Rundown. Have a great New Year's, enjoy your weekend, and I'll talk to you in 2023.